Good morning, everyone. How are we today? So good. It is good to be gathered together today, and I hope that uh, whatever your Mother's Day holds, whether it's just simply uh, resting or uh, finding time to spend with family and friends and celebrating, uh, that whatever it is that you have on your schedule for you today, that uh, as you go about these things, that you will be ever aware of the presence of Jesus that is always with us. I got something wrong with my stool here. I'm not quite sure what's happening. Uh, and um, for all of those mothers uh, out there today, happy Mother's Day. And for all of the women, um, I uh, love my mother and uh, the care that she has provided for me for all of my life and continues to uh, provide for me. And I check in with my mom often, and um, she still to this day uh, is caring for me and um, showing me love, um, a model of grace and peace in my life. Um, but there are other women uh, who have um, also uh, shown me grace and peace throughout my life. And so uh, it's important for me on Mother's Day to be thankful for my mom for, for sure, but also um, for the uh, cloud of witnesses, as the scriptures say, the many people who invest in our lives. Um, some of the most motherly people uh, aren't necessarily mothers in the traditional sense. Um, but yet they uh, care for others in the same capacity. So we celebrate all um, women today. And of course, when you read through scriptures, uh, one of the unique things actually about the Bible being as old as it is um, and coming up in some of the ancient cultures as it does, uh, it always mentions the women involved in the faith. Uh, it's a unique thing to uh, Christianity, to um, the scriptures, to Judaism, that uh, women are included in the lineage of uh, the scriptures. And in all of those who uh, come before us, uh, we have the, uh, the patriarchs, the um, foundations of the faith uh, are, are often thought of as the men, but the women are just as present and um, as important of foundations to us. Um, so much so that as uh, is traditional, a traditional greeting in the Old Testament is in the, you know, we're gathered in the name of the, or uh, we're not gathered, that's what we say uh, for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but um, in the uh, faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, perhaps we should also add to that with Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and with Leah, um, because their stories are um, just as much intertwined into uh, the story of Scripture. And of course, uh, we find uh, interactions that Jesus had with women throughout his life on earth that uh, are some of the uh, most attention-grabbing encounters um, for the way in which he noticed um, women. And one with the women, woman at the well, um, she even questions him noticing her, saying, why would you take time to acknowledge me, right? You are a Jewish man. You are a man of stature and esteem. I am a Samaritan woman, but yet you're acknowledging me. Jesus uh, saw through the barriers of our culture and uh, noticed everyone. 
And so not only is today Mother's Day, but um, on the church calendar, we are in the season of Easter. How many of you knew that Easter had a whole season? It actually has a, a season of about 50 days in which uh, the church typically focuses on passages of Scripture um, and prayers that reflect the uh, truth and power of the resurrection. Now, of course, every time that we gather together, we are doing so um, in celebration of the resurrection because that is what's, um, what is the, the um, pinnacle of our faith. And we say it in our opening liturgy that we um, are gathered uh, in the Jesus. We look to Jesus, whose life, death, and resurrection. So it's not just reserved for Easter; it's all year. But particularly during the during Easter and the season of Easter, we focus on the power of resurrection. And of course, in Scripture, Jesus is not the only resurrection that we read about. Right? Uh, there is the resurrection of Lazarus, even in the Old Testament. There are some examples of resurrection. And then this kind of interesting passage today that we read of Tabitha, uh, who uh, Peter um, was involved in uh, resurrection. Now, one of the things that we need to, to kind of acknowledge here is that while Peter is attributed as the one who is praying for Tabitha, the one who had faith of resurrection. Of course, it is the power of Christ. It is the power of Jesus that is the resurrection power. So when life enters Tabitha's body again, it's not from Peter. Peter did not give her life. It is the life of Christ that is, it was extended to her. Um, but this story is just is, is very interesting in where it fits um, in the scriptures. It follows right after the story that Jeremy preached about last week, where uh, probably the more famous of the two stories, where Paul is converted along the road of Damascus. He has this experience where um, he hears the words of Jesus, and he goes blind, and then um, Ananias comes in and prays um, for him, tells him that Jesus uh, has called him, and Paul's life changes. And then directly after that is this account of Peter uh, and the and praying for a resurrection for Tabitha. You see, the when we talk about resurrection, when we think about resurrection, when we know resurrection, the reason why it is so important for us to remember is because resurrection is what means that it means that we can always have hope, no matter what we are facing, no matter how difficult the circumstances might be, even in the face of death, we can find hope in resurrection. I don't know um, if you all are immersed in these types of conversations as I am being a pastor, but I um, often find myself talking with people, and uh, they'll mention something like uh, uh, talking about the church being in decline. Like that people, when teenagers graduate the church, they, uh, or graduate the, from high school, they graduate the faith. Anybody ever heard something like that? Um, statistics that show that the church is uh, constantly losing um, people, that it is uh, losing numbers as almost as each day passes. And when you start having these conversations, people will uh, begin to try to 
you know, they're, I think they're asking you to try to figure out where is a sense of hope, where is a sense of uh, hope in the future of the church, in um, the bleakness of the world, where does hope come from? And for me, it always comes because of resurrection, right? Uh, there is always hope in light of the resurrection. So uh, we have this story um, of, uh, of Paul and his conversion. Um, then we have this uh, time passing by and uh, Lydia or Tabitha dies, right? And it's interesting here that when she dies, the response of her friends, they go through the grieving process because it says that they bathed her body, which was custom uh, in the Jewish faith. They prepared her for burial, but they also summoned Peter. Isn't it interesting that they summoned Peter to come to her and pray for her? Now, Maybe they knew exactly what they were doing. Maybe they knew that she uh, would, that life would be restored to her body. Maybe they wanted him to come and uh, just offer his comfort and be present in a difficult situation. But one of the guiding principles of the early church was that they trusted in what Jesus said in John chapter 14, 12, where he told them, that he was going to the Father, and that they would be involved in greater things. Now, this uh, scripture has been manipulated and uh, used in ways that uh, make me uncomfortable, maybe that even would make you uncomfortable, but uh, the, there seems to be this sort of fuel in the early church, which they believe and trust that with enough Faith, with enough focus on the presence of Jesus, with enough uh, power of the Holy Spirit within them, that um, great and amazing things would happen. So Tabitha dies, and Peter comes to her side. Tabitha was a follower of Jesus. She was apparently some sort of seamstress, as uh, they were, the people mourning were wearing clothing that she made specifically for them. And the scriptures say of Tabitha that uh, she did good works and was devoted to charity. Whenever the scriptures talk about heroes of the faith, uh, all the way back in the beginning of scripture, you can't journey too far into a, uh, one of the, the pillars of our faith, one of the, the, these people who uh, are written about and encapsulized in Scripture because of their faith. You can't read too far into their story without reading this description or a description similar to this, that they are involved in good works, that they are involved in charity, that they are caring for the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, for um, those uh, who God has uh, blessed them to care for. This is why it is so important for us to be involved in good works as a church, because it is what we are called to do. 
Now, whenever we have this conversation about good works, somebody um, inevitably brings in the James passage that says, are you suggesting that we are saved by our good works? And of course, we would say, no, we're not saved by the good works, but the good works are evidence of the spirit that is present within us, right? And the good work actually becomes the byproduct of the salvation that we are uh, involved in, engaged in. And as we do good works, whether that be filling a bag full of fruits and vegetables or displaying a movie and uh, Jeremy, one of the things that he forgot to mention was that Jeremy was uh, a human pinata on Friday <laughs> night. Uh, we didn't have a tree big enough for our pinata, and Jeremy is, uh, you know, almost as tall as a tree. So we figured he would be the best to uh, be the one to hold the pinata. Uh, and so uh, Bill rigged up a, a pole for him to hold, and um, Jeremy got to to hold the pinata for kids to strike it. And let me tell you this. Um, I don't have a whole lot of experience with pinatas. I think maybe in my life I've only been at a party that had a pinata to hit maybe two or three times. Uh, when you put a pinata in front of a group of children, it gets crazy. Uh, they not only beat the pinata, but they were waiting for that to explode so that they could get candy. And I thought we were going to have a trampling uh, hazard as they came through trying to get candy. Uh, but uh, it was uh, those, doing those good works are important because when we do good works, we are putting people in the stream of God's blessing. We are heaping God's goodness upon them. So it is important for us to do that. It is important for us to get this right because it is so uh, involved in what it means to be alive in the kingdom of God is to do good works. So Peter comes to Tabitha, who was a seamstress, who was uh, devoted to good works um, of hospitality and charity. And uh, she is raised from the dead. And then Peter takes her by the hands, the scriptures tell us, and raises her to her feet. Okay? Peter took her hands, these hands probably calloused by the seams that she had sewed, the seamstress work that she had done, and pulled her to her feet, which helped her to go to the places where she blessed her neighbor and she lived again. You know, our hands and feet tell a story, right? Back in my construction days, uh, one of my least favorite interactions was shaking hands with one of the guys who was actually doing the construction work. And it wasn't because we were outside and only had porta potties to use, although that was in the back of my mind. But the real reason was because 
Their hands are hands that have done lots and lots and lots of work. My hands are not, right? And so I would reach out my hand to shake their hand, and it would feel like a sandpaper. Rub, they had sandpaper on their hands rubbing my hands, and always, always someone would comment on how soft and dainty my <laughs> hands felt. And so I tried, I made it a point to, whenever someone reached out my hand, I would try and squeeze as hard as I possibly can. <laughs> but the problem with that is that these are people who are swinging hammers all day long and carrying heavy objects. And so whenever I would try to squeeze, they would give me even more of a squeeze. And then it wasn't my soft hands that they were making fun of. It was my lack of ability to be able to compete with their squeeze. So I couldn't win. But our hands tell a story, right? My mother's hands um, are hands that for decades have cared for little children. And my mom now, who's um, almost to the age of retirement, is, uh, is actually experiencing the physical um, toll of bending down and helping children and uh, you know, working with children at a lower uh, level as she um, cares for them and has for the majority of her, of her adult life. And as we think about the work that we are engaged in and the work that we're doing in light of the resurrection, the work that we do matters. The things that we do matters. The stories that our hands and our feet tell, they matter greatly. Now, of course, we all have stories of mothers and of the women in our lives that have blessed us, that we, and we could share those stories of how they helped us to live uh, and, and, and modeled grace and peace in our lives. But I think probably for all of us in this room this morning, if I were to say, uh, let's come up with a list of the most famous well-known mothers, that there are two that I could think of that would be probably at the top of our list. And perhaps those two uh, would be one who actually was a mother, not by, not in a traditional sense, for she didn't have children, but by her name as Mother Teresa, right? And then somewhere along the line, we would probably get to uh, a mother who was not only a mother, but who uh, was actually a princess. Princess Diana was the mother of William and Harry. And what's interesting about these two well-known mothers is that their lives couldn't be more different, but they actually were friends. They developed a friendship with one another. Uh, there's actually an account that you can go and read by a lady named Mary Johnson that chronicled the first meeting between Princess Diana and Mother Teresa in Calcutta uh, in 1992. And this is a picture um, of that meeting. And you can sort of see these two opposite worlds colliding with one another of these two 
mothers. And if you want to go home and Google it, it's actually a, a really fascinating read. It's, a, it's an article written for the Huffington Post, but uh, there's a lot of interesting uh, back and forth in this uh, story about this meeting that they had. And by all accounts, um, both Mother Teresa and Princess Diana had this mutually beneficial relationship with one another where they uh, spurred one another on and empowered each other. And I love this picture here because it's kind of the epitome of class and fashion colliding with the uh, description of what it is to be meek and devout. And during this meeting that took place, um, it was written about this time together that Mother Teresa spent more time meeting with Princess Diana one-on-one -on -one than she did with any other person uh, by the accounts of Mary Johnson, who was a nun and who followed Mother Teresa for many years. She said that she spent more time with Princess Diana than she did any other person that she ever observed. And uh, after their meeting together, they called the press in and they took some pictures together. Uh, but then they went to the chapel and prayed. And when you went into the chapel there at um, the nunnery in Calcutta, they, it was custom for them to remove their shoes. And one of the most fascinating parts of this story um, written about this encounter was that the writer noticed the juxtaposition between Princess Diana's designer black and white pumps next to Mother Teresa's worn out, old, ragged, and rugged sandals. Mother Teresa actually was known for her gnarled and disfigured feet. And the reason why was because she didn't take time to care for herself as uh, many of us do and maybe as she should have. In fact, um, these sandals that she had um, were sandals that by some accounts she had for 20, wore for 20 years. And when she got them, they were hand-me-downs. And constantly on her feet, constantly moving took a toll on her feet. Some of the most famous feet in the world in juxtaposition to some of the most cared for and pampered feet in the world uh, is sort of the interesting depiction of their relationship. So anyways, during this encounter, during this time of prayer, Mother Teresa gave Princess Diana a rosary um, which allegedly uh, Princess Diana is buried with to this day. Um, but she also wrote a note in uh, her to, uh, she, uh, Mother Teresa wrote a note to Princess Diana in which she said, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way, follow him. He's the truth, believe in him. He's the life, live for him. After the prayers and meeting between these two, they returned. Uh, Princess Diana put on her pumps, and uh, Mother Teresa put on her sandals. 
But it was said by those later on who, cl- who were closest to Princess Diana that this meeting with Mother Teresa was the moment in which things changed for Princess Diana. It ignited in her a sense of caring for the marginalized, for those uh, who needed uh, care. And this encounter fueled Princess Diana to make some monumental changes in her life. Princess Diana has the story of a Disney princess, right? She, she is a Disney princess for all purposes, right? She was an uh, a, a, a ordinary, common person who grew up in an ordinary existence like you or I and met and fell in love with Prince Charming and went on to uh, be married into the royal family. And at some point along the way in her journey, and there's lots of of media out there now that kind of chronicles this, and I'm not an expert on the royal family by any uh, means, but from what I understand, not only was there the infidelity that was present and the, the, the difficulty through their relationship, but there was also this sort of yearning for something different that was going on within Diana that uh, was compounded by this meeting with Mother Teresa, and it wasn't long after that in which she uh, left the royal family and gave up on that dream uh, of, the, of, of being a princess. She had a spiritual awakening because of this encounter with Mother Teresa. Peter took Tabitha by the hand and he pulled her to her feet. In light of this story of scripture where life was restored, in light of the mothers who have shown us grace and peace in our lives, in light of the presence of Jesus that is always with us, fueling us and filling us with grace, I think it's appropriate for us to consider what story do our hands and our feet tell? What is the story that our hands and our feet tell? Do they tell the story of one motivated by the grace and peace of Jesus carrying on in good works of grace? And peace? Do they tell of one leveraging whatever abilities and influence and resources we have in order to bless our neighbor? Do they tell of one following the way of Jesus, believing in the truth of the kingdom and living in light of the resurrection? Friends, today for us, I pray that our stories will be one where it is said of us, that person cared for others. That person was motivated to do good work. That person was an example of grace and peace.
in our, in my life. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we read these stories, these larger-than-life stories, stories of resurrection, stories of extraordinary people and their encounters with one another and the way in which their lives were shaped by them. And God, we think about our own lives and how you have given each of us a story. Our stories are worth living. The work that you have called us to do is worth doing. Because in light of your resurrection, what we do today matters. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we see how much even the most simple acts of goodness matter. And through both our individual good works and our good works as a community of faith, would you bless our neighbors? Would you place our neighbors in the stream of your goodness? so that they too may experience the life-giving power and resurrection of your grace. We ask these things today, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen.